What comes to mind when you think about life? Your life? The lives of those you love? Would you be willing to save a loved one's life? Of course. But have you ever stopped and thought about saving the lives of others? Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a weekly podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but when it is broken down, it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Many of us have heard the famous five stages of grief that were outlined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross years ago. They include denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Although we may feel those emotions during our time of loss and grief, they're really not stops on a timeline to grief recovery. Hi, you have found episode 16 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, two-time kidney recipient and proud LifeBank staff member. I am joined today by LifeBank Senior Bereavement Services Counselor, Alyssa Berman, as well as Jennifer Stern, who is a licensed independent social worker with a master's in clinical social work. She is in private practice at Ellen Casper Associates, where she supports individuals and families as they grow and heal through grief, loss, bereavement, and difficult life transition. We appreciate you both being here. Alyssa, in your vast experience in counseling and bereavement, do people actually follow the five stages of grief? When Kubler-Ross wrote the book about these five stages, she actually wrote them for the dying. And for the dying, they work. When you receive a diagnosis of a terminal illness, these stages are actually experiences people have. However, in grief, people just don't grieve in that kind of linear fashion. Often, they may never have feelings of denial. To be quite honest, denial by its definition would mean that people truly feel that their loved one is at home even though they're gone. Not that they think they'd like them to be there, not that they think when the garage door opens that they're coming in, but truly believe they are home. And in the years that I have done this work, I have not met someone who believes without a doubt that their loved one is at their house, which would be the definition of denial. And so what's happened is that people show up to grief counseling and think that they're doing their grief wrong because perhaps they aren't going through these proscribed stages. And often the work that I do, the work that my colleague Jen does, is reassuring people that their experience through grief is normal for them. That while they may actually have some of these feelings, for the most part, grief is a profoundly disorganizing experience. It's an experience where there isn't a sense of closure per se, because The only thing we close in our lives really are bank accounts. We don't close the love accounts in our life. What we really try to do is find ways to continue to connect to our loved ones in loss. And to get to that process, it's like a roller coaster. There isn't just one way to get there. So it's not A, B, C, D, and you're done. Jen, would you agree with that? I would. Grief is not linear, it's messy. And just as everyone's relationship is different with the person that died, so too is their grief. 
There are so many feelings that one feels when grieving, from anger and sadness and numbness to relief. And these feelings can be felt all at once or in no particular order. I know people that have certain feelings and they feel guilty. I mean, if they experience a a moment of happiness or even laughing, laughing at something humorous, they feel guilty, you know. It's true. And, And I often say to my clients, you are living and life is for the living. And so part of living is laughing and loving and feeling good and feeling grateful, even as you're grieving. And that's called duality. And duality is when you can feel two things at once and both are true. I can feel deep sorrow and also excitement about an accomplishment at the same time. And one does not extinguish the other. It's possible to experience the stages of grief in a short time all at once or not at all. And that the stages identified are not a checklist or a roadmap. So if there are not five stages of grief, what does the process look like then, Alyssa? So the process looks different for every single person involved. Essentially, the work of grief is to find a meaningful way to move forward one step at a time for each individual person. And our role in hearing these stories is trying to figure out what path the person is going to take and to companion him on that path. It's not our job to tell them how to do it or to give them a list of rules. They know their loss and their life experience and as unique as their life is, their grief is. At the end of the day, we grieve in the same way that we live our lives. So if somebody before grief was a talker and a processor, then they will talk and process their way through grief, most likely. And if the person was a doer and very task oriented, then that person will process their grief in that manner. But there isn't a right or a wrong way to do it. Primarily in the work that I do, I help people understand what the legacy of their loved one is and how they stay connected to their loved one in separation. How can they continue to love the individual who they lost when they are not here? For them to be able to come to a place of understanding that the relationship in its physical form is no longer here, but the relationship they maintain in a spiritual form will always remain. John? Co-destiny is is really a powerful part of living forward in grief. And co-destiny is when we quite literally take what we loved about the people that have died and honor them by letting their light shine through us. Now, if, if they were avid readers, getting involved with the library, if they loved animals, getting involved with animal shelters. There are so many ways for us to honor and remember well those that we love that are no longer here. The healing work of grief is experiential and it changes over time. Acute grief in the beginning feels like it's going to be forever, and it isn't. It does change. It does lift. You don't ever get over the loss of somebody that you love. You wouldn't want to. No, not at all. You will love them for as long as you are here. And in doing so, you figure out ways to integrate that loss and still find purpose and meaning in your own life. And that's experiential. No two people will grieve in the same way. So comparing your grief, trying to find out if you're doing it right, if you're grieving too long, 
if you should be back at work or you should be back at home crying more. It's intuitive grief versus instrumental grief. And intuitive grief is when you are very connected to your emotions and you're expressing your emotions often. The other form of grief, instrumental grief, is more task-focused. Going back to work, paying the bills, getting things done, almost like checking off of a list. And both are healthy and both are okay. It's really important in grief to remember to honor yourself, to treat yourself with patience and compassion, and to remember that just as your relationship with your loved one was unique to you, so too will be your grief. When should we be concerned that grief is getting a little bit overwhelming or complicated? So grief is always overwhelming, but as far as it being complicated, this too really depends on the life the person is living. We follow people here at LifeBank for two years. And my expectation in those two years is that they're going to have days where they cannot function, they don't want to get out of bed, and life feels in general just too intense. But what I pay attention to is over time how that lifts. And yet people will take a step forward and two steps back, and another step forward and another step back. But when I sense that the individual is not moving forward at all, where the only momentum is either staying put or moving backwards, then that concerns me as far as wondering if this is a complicated situation. Now, having said that, in my specific line of work, everyone I'm working with has had a traumatic loss. So one of the reasons why we don't really have the conversation of complicated grief until two years later in traumatic loss work is because the trauma in itself complicates the whole experience. Ah, I see. In my specific line of work, I really don't address it until two years out. That's interesting. So is it because the, the trauma it causes it to be complicated in and itself? It can, but the other thing trauma does is it stifles grief. So we call people two months after their loss and inevitably they are kind of maybe even flat in affect. It can take three to six months before the brain processes a trauma and that the grief can come through, which is why six months after a traumatic loss, I'm less likely to say this is complicated because the fact is the grief may not even be appearing until six to nine months after a trauma. Wow. At that point, then I can start talking about the grief, but often we're just processing the trauma for the first handful of sessions. My goodness. John, do you have anything to add? When I think about complicated grief, I think persistent and pervasive. Acute grief is its own time, you know, right after a loss. There is that adjustment period where you're trying to renegotiate what life looks and feels like without your loved one there. And as Alyssa said, there are days where you just can't get out of bed or you can't go to work. It's understandable. I begin to worry for my clients when a year out, two years out, three years out are still having intrusive thoughts, ruminating over how their loved one died ruminating over magical thinking. If I would have done this, then maybe they would still be here. If I would have said this, then maybe they would still be here. When those thoughts create a sense of avoidance, they're not going to work, they're not going to school functions, they're not able to show up for those they're responsible for caring for. 
when complicated grief creates an avoidance of going to places because why should they be able to go and enjoy this if their loved one cannot? How can we celebrate holidays or birthdays? Now, in that first couple of years, you have to honor yourself. And if going to a birthday celebration or a wedding or a baby shower is just too much, that's self-care. It's when it creates a barrier in your life to do the things that you want to be doing. And I, the one thing I want to add is that I work with many people who have the thoughts, if I woulda, shoulda, coulda, and they go to work. And so the real important point that Jen was making is not that if you're listening to this and you think, gosh, I have those thoughts, I have complicated grief. That's not true. It's if you have those thoughts and you don't do and engage in life in the way that you need to, whether that be going to work or to school or if you're retired, engaging in your volunteer activities. That is when the concern arises because those thoughts are normal. But as Jen said, it's when that they when they impact your capacity to live your life that we get concerned. Yes, persistent and pervasive, right? I mean, integrated grief is grief that over time becomes less stifling and more of a companion. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to think about it. I think I've learned more in this last 15 minutes than I have all week. So thank you so much. And to our listeners, if you need information about our services and what resources are out there, if you're a donor family, you can always visit lifebank.org and go to our resources tab. And there's a special link for donor families. Thanks for listening. And I invite you back next week and come on. Let's Talk About Life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life, the podcast that is changing lives. Organ, eye, and tissue donation is truly all about life. Life given, life received, and lives saved and healed. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org or visit lifebank.org for more information. If you are already a registered donor, we thank you. If you are not, take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at the BMV or online at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is depending on it. Donate life.